0: Well, as we mentioned, the last several weeks here, we are, uh, this year, the the plan, at least starting out, is to uh, do a study on the life of Christ. Last week, uh, we spent some time just kind of talking about historically what has been happening during this time in the Bible, specifically, you know, some, some significant changes that took place between the Old Testament and the New Testament in regards to world powers, who was in charge the king, the high priest, all those types of things. We discussed that all last week. Uh, today and next week, more than likely, um, before we get into a, a, uh, a day-by-day uh, review of the life of Christ, uh, this week and next week, I want us to take a little bit of a, a, a larger view, you a know, 40,000-foot view of what Jesus' ministry was all about. Um, what, if you were to ask Jesus, what do you do, I wonder what his answer would be if you had a chance to talk to him uh, while he was out in his earthly public ministry. Well, today we want to discuss that. Next week, we'll probably spend a little more time talking about the, the actual activities uh, that Jesus did um, while he was um, ministering here on earth. But I thought as we begin this study on the life of Christ, I thought it would be good to start out with this. Uh, I'm, I, this is not really a poem. Um, I'm not sure what you would call this. Uh, but it's, I, I did not write this, I, it's been around for decades, uh, it's attributed as far as who the authorship of this is to a James Allen Francis, but there's dispute on, did he come up, I, who knows, I don't know, I'm just saying I didn't come up with this, but I would like to read this, I think it uh, at least kind of helps, at least for me, it helps uh, align things properly in my mind when I think about the, 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 the reality of the life of Christ, all right, so I'll read this for you, and, uh, and then we'll move on here this morning. It's called, the name of this is called One Solitary Life, and you may have heard this before as I start reading through it. It may, uh, it may dawn on you that you, you're, you're familiar with this. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. Then for three years, he was a traveling preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of these things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. His most outspoken denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. And When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I'm well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on, on earth as much as this one. One solitary life. Amen. And whenever you think about Jesus, uh, it is amazing to stand back 2,000 years later and see the impact of one man's life. Right. And so uh, we've talked about this before. Um, maybe, maybe we'll get the answer as we go through the study this year. But there are roughly, roughly 54 to 57, depending upon how you count certain things, days recorded in the life of Christ. And so, um, after we kind of get through these first few weeks of introduction, our plan is to go day by day and follow the life of Christ as he ministered. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, I think it would be interesting if we had a chance to get in a time machine and go back in time and talk to Jesus while he was publicly publicly ministering and ask him, hey, what do you do? I wonder what his answer would be. Uh, Let's take our Bibles and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. And let's see if we can find out um, what, what was Jesus' ministry? What was he? What did he do? Um, let's see what the Bible says here. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 23, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So we see here a nice little summary of what Jesus did. Let's, let's turn to another, uh, another verse here in the book of Matthew and we'll see if we can get some more information on what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 28. It says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So here we see in this portion of scripture that uh, the previous one he was teaching he was preaching he was healing in this portion of scripture you find that he astonished those people that heard what he was saying by the way that he taught let's turn over to matthew chapter 9 matthew chapter 9 verse number 35 and jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people that sounds very similar to what we read in chapter number four let's go to chapter number 11 in verse number one, and it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of the commanding his disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And then let's look at uh, chapter 13. And there, and there are many more we could go to, but just for sake of time, we'll read this one more uh, Hebrews, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 54. The Bible says here, "And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogues, insomuch that they were astonished, astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? So if you were to uh, ask Jesus or ask his disciples during his public ministry, Jesus, what do you do? The response would be, I'm a teacher. That's what Jesus did in his public ministry. He taught people. Now he did other things too, but what is listed first? Again, and again, and again, go back and read these verses we just flipped flip through and looked at. Again and again, over and over, the very first thing that's mentioned is Jesus taught in their synagogues, or he taught in their cities. Jesus was primarily, first and foremost, he was a teacher. When we read the Gospels, if we're not careful... We will get caught up in all the amazing, and and it's great, there's nothing wrong getting caught up in all the amazing stories, all the miracles, bringing people uh, back from the dead, and feeding the multitudes, and healing the blind eyes, and healing the lame and the crippled, and we think of all these miracles, and I'm not diminishing those one bit, but what was Jesus' first and foremost? What was his primary occupation? What was his responsibility? More than miracles, it was teaching people. It was teaching people. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about. And, and the miracles were, were there, and they added to it, and they reinforced, and they brought authority to what he was saying. But Jesus' role, his task, his mission was to be a teacher. He was to be a teacher. It was listed first over the priorities of everything, everything else that he was dealing with. Teaching uh, that he gave. The teaching that he gave, it wasn't just any old routine, regular teaching that they would have. There was a, there was a, a, a custom back in those days and it was called, uh, um, well, I think I'm probably going to say this wrong, but basically it's essentially it was the honor of the synagogue is what it was called or something to that effect. I may have m- missed up the words there, but essentially what it was is if you were a known teacher and you came into a city and you went into a synagogue and, and we, I don't think we discussed this last week, but this might be important for us to know, these synagogues that kind of, well, in the Old Testament, do you ever read about a synagogue in the Old Testament? No. You never hear about them going into the synagogue in you know, Damascus in the book of, in the Old Testament. Because whenever you went to worship God, everyone worshipped at the temple. That's where you had to go if you were going to worship God. If you wanted to sacrifice, you had to go to the temple. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there was a, a huge war that broke out because the northern kingdom wanted to make their own place to off, make offerings. So they wouldn't have to travel as far, if you remember that story in the Old Testament. But, but bottom line is, in the Old Testament, there were no synagogues. During the time whenever all the Jews went into captivity in Babylon, and when they came out, Ezra the scribe is the one that came up with the statute that basically said, if you have more than 12 Jews in a city, you're required to form a synagogue. That's where the synagogue came came from, and that's where it kind of appeared in the New Testament. So what was the custom, or the honor of the synagogue? If you were a known teacher, and you came into that city and you visited with them, uh, they would come to you and they would say, hey, would you... Uh, we would like to give you the honor of the synagogue and allow you to teach us today. And so as Jesus was going about in Galilee and around the surrounding area of Judea, and he would go into a city, um, he was known, especially in his first year, year and a half, whenever it was called the year of popularity, the years of popularity, he would come into the town and they would give him the honor of the synagogue and he would begin to teach. But he didn't teach like everybody else. He didn't just come in like all the other scribes and all the other teachers that would come in that day he taught with authority it was astonishing to them what they heard from jesus like they would not heard it from anywhere else before and and i and i would just look look, there's no there's the um the the words in your bible that are in red the and and different different um uh different publishing houses you'll find that some publishing houses will include some more words that are read than others. And so there's some debate, specifically when you read, whenever someone's quoting Jesus. But the bottom line is, uh, the words in red are not any more inspired than any other part of the Bible. Okay? There are some people that would give a higher authority to what Jesus said over what Paul said. And I'm here to tell you what the Bible teaches is all of those men were inspired by by God to write those words. And so they're all important. And the words in red are not any less important. And they're not any more important. But I don't think it's wrong for us to have them highlighted in red to make a distinction there. Because what you do get through Jesus' own words is you not only get the, the, uh, the character of God revealed, but you get the personality of God revealed. What I'm saying is he didn't teach like other men. He didn't teach like other scribes in those days. He came in and he spoke with authority because he spoke because he was inspired by God. And so what was Jesus? He was first and foremost, he was a teacher. And he was a teacher that taught with authority. And it was astonishing. We read that two times in two different passages of scripture where the people were astonished at what they had heard whenever Jesus began to speak because he didn't speak as the men in that day. He spoke with authority from God. Also, what you find, let's look in Matthew chapter number 26, uh, talking about what was Jesus in his ministry? What did he do? How would he describe himself? In Matthew uh, ver- chapter number 26 in verse number 55, now this is after Jesus has been taken into, uh, he's been captured and he's going through this mock trial that he's going through. And in this passage of scripture in Matthew uh, 26, verse number 55, Jesus says, in that same hour, Jesus uh, said, Jesus to the multitudes, are you come out? As against a thief with swords and staves for to take me, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. So here Jesus is testifying, and he's saying, I didn't just teach occasionally, I didn't just teach every once in a while or whenever I was having a good day, but daily Jesus was teaching. This was his job, this was his role, this was his responsibility. It was to teach people, it was to be a teacher, and to explain to them. The truth of God. And so you see that Jesus uh, taught daily. He taught with authority. It was his first priority. But then let's look at um, uh, Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. in verse number 34. Mark 6, number 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. And he was moved with compassion towards them because they were sheep not having a shepherd and can you imagine you know maybe uh, you could uh, put yourself in that situation where you know Jesus comes out and he and he comes out and and he and he's there to well he came to seek and to save that which is lost that's what he told the disciples but he looks out across you know uh a landscape of people and he sees just broken hurting people that have been abused and taken advantage of by their enemies but even also by their what should be the people helping them their own kings and their own priests that have that have used them and manipulated them and and, and they and they have and they've and they've gone through you know difficulty after difficulty and jesus looks out upon them and he says he's moved with compassion and what is jesus's answer to that and to those people is it to perform a bunch of miracles is it to grant them, you know, extreme wealth? Is it to do anything like that? No, no, look what the Bible says here at the end of this verse. As he looks out and he sees these people and he's moved with compassion on them. In, in verse number 34, and it goes on to say, and he began to teach them many things. What an important lesson for us that what is our role as the church? What is our ministry at the church? Whenever we look out and we see a hurting world and we see people that are going through difficult times and we turn on the news and we see story after story that can be discouraging and disheartening, what is the response we should have as God's people? What does the Bible say? That my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And what people need more than anything else is they need to hear the truth. It's the truth, the Bible says, that it doesn't set you free. There's some versions of the Bible you'll read that it'll say that you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But the truth does not set you free. What the Bible says is you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And there's a big difference between being set free and being made free. See, like, you you know, if you uh, maybe you have a pest around the house and you get one of those, you know, cages you set up and you put some you know peanut butter in it. you're trying to catch the the skunk or the possum or whatever the raccoons get into your trash and you can catch that animal and you can catch it in a trap and if I catch it I can set that animal free but guess what I can catch that animal again down the road if that animal's dumb enough it can come back tomorrow and get in the same trap again and again and I keep setting it free but it can keep getting caught again and again if you're made free you can't get caught anymore the truth shall make you free. When we see the world and we see it hurting, what they need, just like Jesus knew in that day when he looked at and he looked on compassion with those people, he said, What these people need more than a show, a spectacle, a free lunch, a miracle, these people need to hear the truth. They're going through difficult times, they're going through heartbreaking times because they've been told a lie and they've believed it. And so, what was Jesus' ministry? What was it all about? Jesus was a teacher. And he was motivated to teach out of compassion. And boy, this is—I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've no—I have no idea, you know, how God speaks to people and what God's plans for anyone's life in this room is. I don't even know God's plan for my own life, let alone yours. I'm just making sure I make it through the day, okay? But I would say this: when it comes to, when it comes to ministering, when it comes to, because we should all be ministers. If you're a child of God, you should be ministering to others. It's not about you, right? We should be helping others. We should be encouraging others. And when it comes to ministry, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's one thing to say I love to preach. Right? Uh, I, I've, I've, I've been around men that have been called to preach and, you know, they'll, they'll testify of their own words. They'll say, like, any time I hear preaching, it makes me want to preach. And when I go to, like, church, it gets me excited when I hear somebody preaching about, you know, Jesus and what he's done. And, 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 and they get it. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong. And I think that if you are genuinely called, you should enjoy doing what you've been called to do. That's nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference between loving to preach and loving the people you're preaching to. And Jesus loved the people he was preaching to. He was moved with. Comp- he was not motivated because he was going to get to perform, and a lot of times that's what motivates us. Oh, I'm going to be on the stage. I'm going to be performing. I'm going to have all eyes on me. And I'm not saying literally. Sometimes it's maybe not in that literal sense, but we do it because we're trying to impress other people or trying to put on a display or a show in what we do. But Jesus taught not to put on a show or put on a display because motivated out of compassion. And he knew what he knew what the people needed more than anything else was they needed to hear the truth. Because it's the truth that makes us free. It's, It's the truth that tells us, well, the Bible says that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. You know, Satan has devices. He has techniques. He has strategies that he can use to entrap us, to ensnare us. And the truth is what opens our eyes to those traps, to those snares. It's the, listen, it's the word of God that, that frees us from sin. It's the word of God that frees us from the bondages of this world. It's, being, it's the truth of God being revealed to us is what makes us free. And so whenever Jesus saw the multitude, he said, what I, need for, what I need to do for these people more than anything else is I need to teach them. But it wasn't just enough that he was a teacher. It was what he taught. And what did, teacher, what did Jesus teach? How did he teach? What did he teach? Well, let's look first of all in John chapter number 18, John chapter number 18. And let's talk about how he taught. How did did Jesus teach during his public uh, ministry? In John uh, chapter number 18 and verses 20 and 21. John chapter 18 and verses 20 and 21. "Then, Then answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple Whether the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing? Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. Now, what's happening in this portion of Scripture is it's very similar to the one we read a little bit ago, where Jesus is being taken into uh, being taken captive because he's going to be put on trial and eventually crucified, and they're questioning him. And they're saying, hey, are you, are you, do you say that you're the son of God? They're questioning him. They're making accusations. And what was Jesus' response back to them? He said, there should be no debate. I was in the temple. I was in the synagogues. Everything that I said was said openly and publicly, and I said nothing in secret. Amen. How did Jesus teach? Jesus taught everything openly and publicly. There was no secret hidden knowledge with Jesus. And, and 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 can I tell you, uh, oh, you know, year after year in the history of the world, especially in the history of religions, you will find that mankind is attracted to secret or hidden knowledge. That's how you have Masonic lodges formed, and that's how you have these other, you know, parachurch organizations formed, and that's how you have these other, you know, different types of uh, of, of, uh, of 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 corporations that have gotten together because they have some secret knowledge. And if you, if you perform a certain way, if you live a certain way, if you put in your dues, if you put in the time, if you pay them enough money, whatever whatever their uh, requirements are, they'll let you in on the secret. And there's, I mean, this is, I mean, re, I mean, religion is filled with this again and again and again. And I think it's worth taking a moment to say, Jesus said nothing hidden, nothing in secret. His message was for all. For men, for women, for old, for young, for rich, for poor, for black, for white. It did not matter. The message was for all, and there was nothing secret or hidden. Uh, there, you know, there's a, they call themselves a church, this church of Scientology. You might have heard about them maybe in pop culture. This is, a, this is a more modern religion. And boy, let me tell you, it's, you can tell that a, a, a human mind came up with it because it makes no sense at all. It's completely ridiculous if, if, you, if you study what they believe. But how do, they, how do they capture people? Because if they told you all the secrets at the beginning about what their religion's really about, no one would believe it. Right. But what they do is they, they kind of give you a couple of breadcrumbs along the way, and they keep telling you, just keep putting in the time, keep putting in the dues, keep paying us money, and eventually we'll give you the secret message, the secret hidden message, and mankind loves that. Don't we love, like, the, what's your secret ingredient? When people are cooking stuff, it's, you know, there's a famous, you know, famous, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, fable of, you know, the secret recipe for KFC chicken is held in Fort Knox, you know, and no one knows the secret. We, he, mankind loves, like, being a part of something secret. I know, I mean, that's why gossip is so is so prevalent. People love knowing information, secret knowledge, but that was the exact opposite of Jesus. Jesus said, everything I've said has been open and public for all to hear, there's nothing I've said in secret that anybody can accuse me of. There's nothing that I've said that's only for a certain group of people. I've said it openly and publicly for all to hear. So Jesus was a teacher, and he taught openly and publicly for all to hear. No, no secret hidden knowledge or truth. There's nothing else you had to do in order to get the, the message. You could just receive it, hear it, and believe, and you could have the message of Jesus Christ. And what did he teach about? What were the themes that Jesus taught about again and again throughout the Gospels? Let's turn to John chapter number six and we'll begin looking at a couple of scriptures and we'll see what was the content. What was the content of his message as he taught the people? I would say what Jesus taught on should be the exact opposite of what you and I should teach on. What Jesus taught about was himself. What we should not teach about is ourselves. We should be teaching about Jesus. He's the main thing. He's the reason why we've all gathered here today. That Jesus was the main message. He was teaching about himself. And what was he teaching? We'll look at a few verses here. John chapter 6 and verse number 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Let's look at a couple of verses down in uh, chapter 6, verse number 48. I am the bread of life. Let's look at verse number 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for for the life of the world. Let's look at another another chapter, chapter 7, verse number 29. Jesus uh, said, but I know him, for I am from him. And he hath sent me, speaking about God the Heavenly Father. Chapter uh, 8, verse number 12. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's look at chapter 8, verse number 18. I am the one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And then let's look at verse, uh, verse number 24 in chapter number 8. The Bible says... I said therefore unto you that ye, sh- uh, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So Jesus here, we could continue going on through all the Gospels, uh, through all the chapters, and you will see again and again, there's even a famous section of passage of Scripture called the great I Am Statements of Jesus Christ. And we read a few of them here in John chapter 6. Jesus taught about himself. And what was he teaching? He was teaching them that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was the one they should be looking to and putting their faith and trust in for salvation. And he did that through telling them a variety of different stories and parables. But Jesus' message was of himself, that I'm the one that you've been looking for. There are some people that will say that you know Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't divine. They'll, they'll admit, yeah, Jesus really lived, he was a real man in history, and yes, he really taught, he had some good things, he taught us to, to give, you know, he taught us to, to show love to other people, and that, and that, uh, and that love, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make it sound like Jesus was a good teacher, but they'll deny to him his divinity. Right. And what I'm saying is, if you read the Gospels, if you read what he taught, he made, he made no, uh, no doubt at all who he thought he was, and who he thought he was was the Son of God the Messiah. So what I'm saying is you you can't take Jesus and say, well, yeah, he was a good teacher, but I don't believe all the other stuff. Because he made it very clear who he was. That he was the son of God, that he was your only, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by him. And if if you take that teaching, then you can no longer say, well, you know, he was just a, a good teacher that taught people about love. No, no, because he made some very clear distinctions about the lost and the saved about the sheep and the goats. And he made it very clear what you had to do in order to be saved. And so the major themes that he was teaching was that Jesus himself believed that he was not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, not just a man sent from God, but he was the very Messiah himself, the Savior of the world. And the most important truth you could ever learn from Jesus is not the golden rule. The most important lesson you could ever learn from Jesus is not, give and it shall be given unto you. The most important message, lesson, teaching you could ever have from Jesus is to know who he was. That's the most important message of Jesus, is do you know who I am? Because if you don't know who I am, you cannot be saved. It was the most important truth you could ever hear from him. I wonder what we would have learned from Jesus if we were alive in those days. Would it have been just, hey, that's who gives us the free lunch. That's the guy that performs the miracles. That's the guy that entertains us. Or would you say he is the teacher of the truth of salvation and death? He's a teacher. The major themes he taught were about himself, but not just about himself. He also taught about his kingdom. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, in, this, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus tells many parables, and they're all speaking about this second major theme. Beyond Jesus teaching about himself, his first major theme, his second major theme was teaching about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 4, we learn about many parables that, that reveal truth to us. That's what a parable is. A parable is a, is a, is a, uh, a, uh, a story that reveals to us a spiritual truth. It's a practical, earthly story that reveals a spiritual truth to us. And that's what we find happening here in Matthew chapter number 4. The first parable, you might r- r- recall this one, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. Remember that parable where the man goes out and he begins to sow the seed? And sometimes we call it the parable of the sower, but the truth is it's a parable not of the sower, it's a parable of the soils. That's really what the story is about. It's not about, because the seed is the same. If you read the story, the same The seed that he throws on all the soils, it's all the same seed. What's different is, how does the soil respond when the seed lands upon it? And so Jesus is teaching about this kingdom of God here in in, uh, Matthew chapter 4. And we'll look, look verse number 17, he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll see this message repeated again and again. This is what he taught. He taught about the kingdom of heaven, and I, I apologize. We're going to be in Matthew chapter thirteen. Matthew chapter thirteen is the chapter that has the parables of the kingdom of heaven. But the first one is this parable of the soil, and uh, um, we won't take to we won't t- take time to read the entire portion of it. But we'll read. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse number eighteen. Um, Hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in the heart. This is, which, this is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arriveth because of the word, by and by he is offended." He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the seedfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some in a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. And so this first parable is a story of the sower, and he's spreading the seed. And what Jesus is saying is sometimes you're going to spread the seed, and it's not going to germinate. It's not going to produce any fruit is not going to produce any growth and here's the reason why and he gives some examples of that and so what's the message that jesus is giving to the people he's saying that the kingdom of god begins in each one of us by somebody planting a seed if you're saved here today because it's because somebody at some point in time planted a seed in your heart planted a seed in your heart that's how the kingdom of god begins It begins by somebody coming along and and planting a seed. And sometimes that seed falls on stony ground or or thorny ground, but sometimes it falls on good ground. And it takes hold and it begins to produce fruit in our lives, the Bible says, some hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Not just the parable of the sower and the seed, but the the parable of the wheat and the tares. Let's look at verse number 24. Verse number 24 in this same chapter. Another parable put he... Forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the second parable about the kingdom of heaven. And now it's not about sowing the seed on the good soil and the bad soil. Now it's about somebody planting good seed and bad seed in the same field. And what's this message that Jesus has about the kingdom of heaven? What Jesus is teaching in this passage of scripture, in this parable, is that what you find is that there's going to be corruption inside the kingdom of God. There's going to be corruption coming. Corruption in the form of imitation. It looks like the real thing. The seed looks the same. You can't tell the difference when they're in the seed form, whether it's wheat or tares, but not until you plant it and it begins to grow can you begin to spot the differences. Well, how many times have we heard, and I, and I listen, I, I'll be guilty. I've said it myself. You know, somebody at church hurt me. You know, somebody, somebody did something that was supposed to be a Christian and they have a bad testimony and they're a hypocrite and the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah. And this is what Jesus was telling us would happen. He's saying, why are you surprised? You got hurt in church? Okay. The wheat wheat and the tares are in the same field. It's going to happen. This shouldn't come as some shock. It shouldn't shouldn't shake our faith whenever we go to church and we get hurt in church. Because guess what? There's tares in the field along with the wheat. Jesus was telling his people that were coming after him, listen, there's corruption that will creep in. And it will creep in through imitation. It'll look like the real thing. It'll sound like the real thing. It'll taste like the real thing. But it's not the real thing. And it causes heartache. And it causes people to be despondent whenever they come to church and they get hurt. But Jesus was telling us many, many, 2,000 years ago, this is what it's going to happen. This is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. It's not just going to all be 100% great times all the time as a Christian. You're going to come across some tears every once in a while. You're going to come across tears in the field. And Jesus was acknowledging, he was saying, that his kingdom will not be perfect. And, and as long as we're looking for perfection, we're always going to be upset. We're always going to be disappointed. You know how you, you never get disappointed? Don't ever expect anything. That's how you never get disappointed. Let me tell you, how, I learned that lesson by following the Dallas Cowboys for the last 30 years. As long as I never expect anything, they can't hurt me anymore, right? They can't hurt me anymore. <laughs> Jesus was telling us that the kingdom will not be perfect. Don't expect perfection. Don't expect to get saved and all your problems go away. What will likely happen is when you get saved, you'll have some additional problems you didn't have before you got saved. Now, you're going to have some less problems too, don't get me wrong, but you're going to have some new problems that come along with your salvation. Everything's not going to be great. Everything's not going to be just rainbows and and clear skies. You're going to have some negative degree weather from time to time as a Christian. You've got to endure it. And Jesus didn't hide that from anybody. In verse, uh, verse number 44, we see another parable that's written here to us about a hidden treasure in chapter number 13 and verse number 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hidden a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. I, I like this parable. I think it's a funny story. If I'm understanding it correctly, if I'm reading it correctly, this guy is going out, and he stumbles across a treasure in a field. But he didn't own the field at the time, but he stumbled across it. And he realized, like, boy, there's a treasure in that field. It's worth a lot more than what they think it's worth. And so it says that he goes and he gathers money and he goes and he buys that field to claim that treasure. And what what uh, what was Jesus communicating to us through this message of this kingdom of this hidden treasure? What he was communicating? Well, if you read what it says there in that verse, it even says that he selleth all that he hath to buy the field what Jesus is communicating through this teaching on the kingdom is that God, God spared no expense to purchase you. He sent the most valuable possession he had, his only begotten son, to purchase you. And he purchased you not just for the treasure, but all that came with it, the whole field. God, listen, God, God didn't just redeem the good parts of you. He got it all. He got it all. And he will redeem it, all the parts of us. Maybe not in this life, in the life to come, when we are glorified one day. None of us are glorified, okay? We may be sanctified. but we're not, We will one day. But Jesus is going to redeem everything. And, he, and, and God spared no expense. It speaks to the love. The same thing is true in verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls whom when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So now you see a man that comes across this great treasure. Um, We have, uh, it's funny, my kids uh, have been educating me on uh, the diamond market. The diamond, you know, precious stones and how the De Beers Beers family kind of created the the monopoly on diamonds. and, And diamonds really aren't as rare as, you know, emeralds or rubies, but because they're being manipulated by this, artificial market we have this increased value of diamonds and of course there's been all kinds of marketing campaigns you know that women you know they expect a diamond engagement ring cuz diamonds are forever and you know the all that goes along with it but back in these days what was most valuable were pearls these pearls of great price and this once again it speaks to the love that God has towards us that he this parable says that the person sold all that they had just to get this one treasure And so Jesus is speaking to us about this great price that God was willing to pay to redeem us all. And then verses 47 and 48, we see additional teaching on the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathereth of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So then Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heavens like. It's like a big net in the ocean. And guess what? It gathers up everything. It gathers up the, the good fish and the bad fish and the lobsters and the, and the, and the, and the, and the starfish and the octopus and, the, and everything you can think of. It just gets it all. Now, if you're a Jew in these days, you couldn't eat it all. You could only eat certain types of fish. So you had to go through and you had to separate the good from the bad. And you don't know how good the catch was until you pulled in the nets. When I was talking to Brother Street, I think I was talking to you and Brother Andy about, as you guys were going through, we had, you know, that drought the summer, and I was asking Brother Street about, like, well, do you know, can you tell, you know, how much the drop's impacting your crop, or, or you know, can, can you tell, like, how, how you're going to produce, you know, in the fall, and Brother Street's like, yeah, there's some, there's some different things and methods you can use, but he said, the truth is, you never know till harvest time. You just never know till harvest time. Right? You can you can think, well, oh, the corn looks good this year, the soybeans look good this year, but you can be deceived. You can walk out in the crops and you can think it looks great and the plants are tall and you got plenty of sunlight and plenty of rain and all the conditions were great. But you can be wrong. You can also go out there sometimes and be walking through it and think, man, this don't look too good this year. It's look like, a, a, like a, a sparse crop. And then you go out and you harvest and you find out it was record-breaking year. You just don't know until harvest time. What Jesus was saying about the kingdom of heaven, he's like, it's like when you go out and you cast a big net, and you may think you got a big load, but you don't know until you go through and you sort all the fish out. One day, God's going to sort all the fish out. And there'll be people that we looked at and said, they were the greatest Christian I know. They're the best, most faithful Christian I ever met. And yet they were deceived. They loved the miracles Jesus did. They loved the performance. They loved the entertainment. But they didn't know the teacher. They didn't didn't learn the most important lesson that Jesus ever taught. And that's who he was. The kingdom of heaven is like that net. One day, Brother Street, it's going to be harvest day. And we're going to find out. There's going to be some people you never gave two thoughts to. You walk by them every day or every time you see them at church and you have no idea how greatly magnified they are in heaven because of their faithfulness to Jesus. Little old ladies in their prayer closet that you never know about and yet they're the ones that are going to be the prize in heaven one day. You see, you just never know until harvest time. You never know until it starts getting sorted out. But I can assure you It'll get sorted out. They, they heard the miracles. They got the, they got the they got the 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 the, the you know the movie and a show when they went to see Jesus perform his miracles and get the feeding of the 5,000. But they missed the message. The message of who he was. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. So next week we will transition. This week we talked about who Jesus was. Next week, we'll talk about what he did. What did he do as he was going through and teaching uh, people uh, in, his, uh, in his day? So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. We uh, pray that you would help us as we begin this study on the life of Jesus, that uh, Lord, you would help us to not miss the most important message of all, is that Jesus has come to make us free, to deliver us from eternal damnation to offer us salvation if we will just simply trust him. Pray that you would bless the service to come. You'd be with our pastor, use him this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, anoint our ears to be hungry, to not just hear the word, but be doers as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.